0: Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. How good is the Christmas decorations? You all know Christmas is coming when the decorations get out and it's exciting times. Well, we continue this morning. If you're here with us for the first time, or maybe missed last Sunday, but we began a uh, a sermon series on legacy, um, and we continue that today with part two. Um, Next week we have our vision Sunday, uh, where we'll do part three, and then uh, on the 15th of December we take up our legacy offering, um, which is exciting. Uh, But if you weren't here last week, uh, I would encourage you you can catch up with. podcast or on our YouTube channel, but Pastor Emma spoke about, you know, uh, the whole concept that if we are to understand the godly responsibility as a church when it comes to legacy, it first under, uh, comes with understanding what it means to be the body of Christ, the part that you play, the part we play as a church as a whole, as well as that we're the brighter Christ and therefore we can't be tearing ourselves or each other down. There has to be a level of unity and, and, and coming together focused on bringing the goodness of God. Um, And as a church, I think we do that really well. Um, And individually, that'd be up to you to make that decision. But at the end of the day, if you could watch that, it'd be good. I'll bless you. We're going to continue with that theme legacy today. Um, And I'm going to speak to you this morning about the whole concept of legacy when it comes to what we give the next generation. First Corinthians 3 um, verse 10, Paul writes this, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. Believe it or not, you can turn to the person next to you and just say, hey, I'm a wise master builder. It's always weird when it's odd numbers and stuff, right? you are like, so, you might not see yourself as a, a master builder, but at the end of the day, the reality is we're all building something. We're all masters at building something. Look around. Humanity was given one of the greatest gifts, and that was the ability to create, build, and sustain. It was one of our uh, uh, commandments that was given to us to go into all the world and have dominion over it. And we do that, but, but we're building something personally as well. We all build something and we, we find it inescapable the bible clearly tells us christ comes and says hey you're building something but right now i want to shift your focus from building selfishly to building eternally and so this morning we're going to speak about that whole concept of how do we build eternally and jesus simply says and and in and, and his whole life his message is this concise legacy begins in our heart in relationship with god So he came to give us relationship with God so that we could carry his legacy in our heart, carry legacy in what we do day to day. The psalmist writes in Psalms 112, verse 1 to 2, how blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Legacy starts when we start understanding how we pass on the commandments, and I don't just mean the Ten Commandments, but that God-driven, God-breathed life to our descendants. And there's a blessing in it. The Bible says that there's a blessing in it, and that the generation of the upright will be blessed. In Ecclesiastes 9 verse, oh, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 9, sorry, the writer says this, Two can accomplish more than twice as much as one, for the results can be much better. Now, we all understand the concept of synergy and exponential growth that one person partnered with a healthy second person can achieve, not just twice the amount, but multiple times the amount that one can achieve. We all understand this. This is, not a, this is not a new concept. And the Bible speaks about this. We always say as a church, we're better together. You can turn to the person next to you with your best Australian accent and say, you know what, mate? We're better together. And if you're an Australian... Try to do it with a Canadian accent. (laughs) See, the writer in Ecclesiastes is speaking about the exponential power of the Spirit when we partner together. Deuteronomy 32 verse 30 says "Is How can one person chase a thousand of them and two people put ten thousand to flight? How can? And he goes on to answer that that's through Christ, that one might be able to put a thousand of them to flight, but two can put ten thousand to flight. Once again, we're speaking about that exponential empowerment when that comes together when we come together in unity. But I, I started thinking like we've got that that concept here as a church individually in our faith, or even as a church coming together as a family and as a congregation. But what if we were to take that concept and apply it to the legacy? And the coming together of generations what happens if generation now decides to partner with the generation to come by the way we live our life in the view of legacy what if we partner with generation to come would that mean what we could put a thousand to flight the next generation in partnership with us and what we leave for them could put ten thousand to flight i 100 percent believe that's the truth i believe that god that's what god wants us to do that's how he's developed and, and and constructed his church to live we say that, and it's, it's a common phrase, and I don't know how accurate it is, but it does highlight an urgency in our life, and that's the concept that, you know, that the church is only ever one generation away from extinction. And, and we all know that's, that's, that's impossible, but it does put front and centre for us that concept that we have a responsibility in our legacy to make sure that the next generation... Gets the opportunity to have that self-revelation that redemptive moment with christ that then empowers their generation to carry the cause of the of the body of christ into the to the future so we're going to talk about this whole concept and it's simply this so we spoke about the body of christ last week and we're talking about legacy when it comes to inheritance this week so the body of christ last week inheritance this week so if we if we Look at what the Word and the Gospels and then all the writers of the Old Testament are pointing to. It's simply the concept of inheritance. What do we inherit? The writer of Proverbs 13.22 writes this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. I love this verse. I love this verse because there's a responsibility here. It says a good man. Well, the best part of this is that we're good men and women, we've been made right, therefore we must leave an inheritance, not to our children alone, but set it up that they have the ability to leave the inheritance for the generation after. What are you doing in your own life right now, and this is not me to say what are you doing, but bit like what are you doing, in your own life right now to leave an inheritance for the grandkids in your life, young people, people are not even married yet, what are you doing to leave an inheritance for your grandchildren. Do you do you think every time you make a decision right now, with your kids kids in mind? All of a sudden, if we start thinking like that, every decision we make carries a lot more weight. See, the verse of this, this, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, is to keep our life goals, our vision and our legacy front and center when we're choosing how much or when to use our money, our resource or our time in the day to day. See, it's so easy to put off those decisions or the consequences of those decisions till tomorrow or next week. But the, the the writer of Proverbs here, and let's be honest, if you've read Proverbs, the writers of Proverbs are pretty smart. They've got a lot of wisdom. And he's saying that, that we should live our life, not tomorrow thinking about our kids and like let's make decisions tomorrow for our kids or our kids' kids, today. How do we do that? It's not limited to money. Though money plays a big part of this. We're going to talk about the godly characteristics when it comes to quality inheritance, trustworthy inheritance, faithful inheritance that we can leave to the generations to come so that they can go from god's blessing to god's way to god's glory and that we can see them as we graduate into heaven that just means as we die we know we're confident that the next generation is going to put ten thousand to flight so we're going to go through three different types of inheritances this morning that i really do believe that we can apply individually but in this circumstance, we're going to talk about it collectively as a church as we march towards Vision Sunday, which is next Sunday, the 8th of December. Make sure you're here, bring your friends. It's going to be great, Got awesome announcements. But you need to pay attention to this, because this is really going to help you understand why we're casting the vision for next week. So the first type of inheritance, this is the one we're most common, uh, and the most one we understand, or maybe we... we we hope for, and that's the physical inheritance. Now, I'm not talking about I inherited my booty from my dad, but I heard we were booty church last week, so. I'm talking about inheritance, physical inheritance. Who here knows that at some point when your grandparents or your parents graduate into heaven, or that unknown relative that lives in a mansion in the countryside of England passes away, that there's that concept of inheritance, physical inheritance. And the best part of that inheritance and what we get excited about is we did nothing to get it. We didn't work for it. Someone else worked for it, but someone who loved us worked for it and they're blessing us with this inheritance. Some people make financial decisions like, when I get my parents' inheritance, I'm gonna buy a house, I'm gonna plan. Or when I get my wife's life insurance payout. As an inheritance kid. Took a while. I mean, wait a minute. She's healthy. I'm just messing around. Joshua writes this in Joshua 4 21 to 22. When your children ask their fathers in times to come, why do these, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry river. Sorry, on dry ground. I read that wrong. Bit dyslexic today, pass over this Jordan River on dry ground. This, this scripture verse that's taking place here, this moment in time, is when the Israelites finally enter the promised land, and Joshua commands all the tribes to lay a memorial stone, so that in times to come when that moment is forgotten about, the provision of God into the promised land is forgotten about, your children's children will ask, what are these rocks about? And you will remind them the physical inheritance of the promised land, And better still, that the physical inheritance, that monument that we leave, speaks of the miracles of God that worked in and through our generation. And why would we want to leave that? Why would we want to make sure they know of the miracle? It's so that they understood that if God could do it in our time, he can do it again in their time. Physical inheritance, when it comes to God, when it comes to Christian living, when it comes to being disciplined in it, is less about accumulating wealth for wealth's sake or accumulating resources for resources' sake and more to proclaim and to declare to the future generations to come that the God that was is the God that is and there's the God to come. He was faithful yesterday and He's faithful today. He'll be faithful to you. And that the miracle and the provision that we've received in Him Should be exponential in you. The physical uh, inheritance that we leave the next generation is not only meant to further the cause of Christ in their time, but also remind them that we serve this God, that is the God of miracles. You've got to believe that when you live your life, let's just take this out of the realm of collective church right now, but individually, you need to learn what your physical inheritance you're leaving your family means. And it can't just be like, I just want to set them up financially. You've got to leave a physical inheritance that declares the goodness of God in your life, which means you've got to leave memorials. And I don't mean like a plaque on your, your lounge room. Or, this wall was donated by God in 2008. Know, I mean in how you outwork that physical inheritance with your kids. One of the most practical ways you can do this i didn't mention this in the 9am is that when we leave an inheritance you should actually leave an inheritance with the reason behind it this is a gift provision faithfulness of god given unto us my prayer and my hope is that you take this and multiply it for the kingdom we've got to start declaring the physical inheritance and we've got to plan for it that means every building our life will ever own every property that we'll ever own any, any program that we ever start, any missional work we, we, we innovate in. All of these physical things that the next generation will inherit through our hard work, our sacrifice, our investment, will speak of and declare to them and encourage and inspire them to live the life of the impossible through the, the miracle provision and outworking of our God. We've got to want this. We've got to get excited about this. You've got to know we're living in a miracle now. For whatever reason, I think we're starting to, to find out that God designed the coming together of this miracle, not that it would be contained in this building, but it would rise the mindsets of everyone else and begin to believe that God can do this here on this small parchment of land on the, on the side of a mountain in North Vancouver, a physical inheritance to come. And let's be honest, we're building on foundations that were built decades before us. So at some point, 60 years ago, somebody started to believe that a physical inheritance they invested in then would change a city now, don't you want to be a church or a person that believes in God that when we're in heaven and we're doing and we're having the best time with Christ, we know that our children's children are declaring the goodness of God because of our faithfulness? I want that. I want to be excited about that. I want that to be a focus. I want that to weigh on every decision we make as a church. I want you to understand when we get up here and say God's called us to partner together in our time, in our resource, in our finances, it's not so that Pastor Ben can have a really nice looking car, because I don't. It's so that as a church, we begin to mobilize the physical inheritance. We start laying that stone and say, we were once outside the promised land. We're now in the promised land. And every time we lay an altar, a memorial stone, every time we erect a building or start a program, we're declaring that God is still alive and that he's going to speak to generations to come. That's our physical inheritance. First Chronicles 22.5, it says this about David when he's nearing his death. David has this, this, this thought. He says, My son is uh, Solomon is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in the sight of all nations. Therefore, I will make preparations for it. So David made extensive preparations before his death. I love that. I love the fact that David has this revelation even on a further level. He makes this this thought, and, and it's very clear, that the next generation is going to be inexperienced and young. But instead of writing them off, and instead of saying, you know what, we're going to just hold on to power and control as long as possible, and when they're 60 as well, they can take over, he decides, even though Solomon is young and inexperienced, he's going to sacrifice as much as he can now, work as hard as he can now, so that what Solomon steps into doesn't just projects Solomon's life into greatness, but is allowing Solomon to build what David really wanted to build himself, and that was the greatest temple known to the Jewish kingdom. And even though he knew he would never build it himself, it never stopped him, and the age of his son never stopped him from making extensive preparations. Why? Because at the end of the day, and I love it, he says this, that the splendor and the fame would be in sight of all the nations it's still to make god's name glorified it's still to make his name known it was the same back thousands of years ago and it's the same today our life our job is to make god's name known and a part of that is how we build a physical inheritance the second one the spiritual inheritance proverbs 22 6 says this train a child in the way he should go and even when he is old he will not depart from it Now, the key to this Scripture verse is the word train. We must train up a child in the way he should go. Deuteronomy 6, 5, verse 7 says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children And shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. We shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your might train up your child in the way he should go and even when he's old he will not depart from it you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and all your might if we start realizing what we're meant to be doing we're meant to be training the generation to love the lord their god with all their heart all their soul and with all their might this is their spiritual inheritance i don't want as a church for us not to give a spiritual inheritance to the generation to come. I want to make sure that when they're at the age of 22, 23, when I started out in the ministry, that they're further along in their faith walk and their understanding of Scripture and how they perceive God in this world and the authority and power they have than I was at 23. Not because they're super smart or more intelligent than me, but we made a foundation that allowed them grow quicker and faster and more exponentially so they're, they're not they're not pioneering something from scratch because we didn't do our work they're not resetting the work we've got to give them a spiritual inheritance we must position the next generation to receive that inheritance. See, unlike a physical inheritance, which is which is a transfer of money and resource and and programs, a spiritual inheritance requires us as the current generation to position the next generation to inherit it. Who here at the young age of say, you know, 10 understood everything about the Lord, about the world? And how, the, 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 how heaven intersects with, with earth and how we can just uh, have all authority on heaven and earth. And then one day you wake up as a 10-year-old and go, I'm going to do that now. I figured it all out. It's all good. I'm just going to be saved and live a life of power. That doesn't happen. We didn't do that. Somebody came alongside us and discipled us. Somebody came alongside us and made a way for us to understand. See, I love my kids. I love now that when we go around the dinner table and we pray for dinner, you know, I watch my oldest son Levi, he's nine years old, but when he first started praying, you know, they just pray for the most useless stuff. But you, you bear and you grin and you just you deal with it because your hope is that they would watch and see. See, Emma and I would pray, we always pray in front of our kids. We pray with them every morning and we pray with them every night. And when there's a prayer meeting on, we bring them to the prayer meeting. We immerse them in their their spiritual inheritance. See, what I know about my son and what I know about my daughters is they might not become pastors, which is fine, their decision is theirs, but their spiritual inheritance is going to be a powerhouse. And wherever God takes them, they're going to be effective in the Spirit. Why? Because we're positioning them. See, now Levi, when he prays now, his prayers are concise as a nine-year-old. He prays more deliberately, more intentionally about what God wants to do in his life than I did as a nine-year-old. Why? Because my parents positioned me in a particular place so that when my son was nine years old, he would be even more advanced in his spiritual inheritance than I was. What's even better is that Alice and Eden have learned to pray quicker than Levi. Why? Because believe it or not, Levi's been a part of positioning them in their spiritual inheritance. How cool is God? Now, when it's dinner time and we pray, they all want to pray and your food goes cold. (laughs) Who's been there before, right? Even when it's just one person. Like it's a group dinner and that one person's praying and everyone else is thinking the same thing. I was like, bro you should have become a pastor because you can't preach every time we pray. We just want to eat. It's like a four-point sermon. Half an hour later, you get to eat. I look at Eden, and I love Eden. She's like, she's just a brawler. But she never misses a moment to pray. Actually, this is the coolest part, and I think we lose this. She sees the pathway of prayer as a way to belong. It's a part of who she is. It's her character now. This is, is this spiritual inheritance I'm talking about. Second Timothy 4, verse 1 to 22, um, you know, you can read all about it. I'm going to pull a bit out here. And, and, and Paul writes this, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, And by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. I love this verse. We're living in this world right now that Paul writes about. You don't believe me? Facts and truth mean nothing today. Look around, look what the the news argues about, look what society's arguing about. You can have, let's just take scriptural truth out of the picture. You can have scientific, empirical evidence, fact, unshakable. But if someone emotionally doesn't agree with it, if their feelings don't think, if that is offensive to them, then we just pretend it doesn't exist and we go with our feelings and our emotions. That's why Paul writes, think about this, he wrote this 2,000 years ago, that a time is coming that people will have itchy ears. Just a weird thought. Ever had that itchiness in your ear that you can't scratch? It's like in your ear? Ever had that? And it's like, you think by, like, leaning your head a certain way and, like, squinching your eyes is going to fix something in your head? I do that all the time. Like. He says, we're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I live my life talking to people about the existence of God, about the power of Scripture, and I also live my life listening to people who accumulate documents, and they accumulate writers, and they accumulate philosophers, but only the ones that are suit their own passion. They will never accumulate something that will challenge them. We're living in the candy cotton generation. I hear hear the older generation all the time, frustrated with my generation, the millennial generation, all you guys need is a good world conflict. And I'm like, good world conflict? Is that a thing? Like, can you have a world conflict that's good? But I see what they're saying. We need to take this sort of self-centered, selfish, whatever I feel needs to be the best, don't you dare offend me attitude, and we need to toughen it up, give it a little bit of persecution. And we're not talking about Christian persecution. We're just talking about hard life. We live in North Vancouver. You want something, five minutes, you can have it. Am I wrong? But spiritual inheritance doesn't work that way. You can't have spiritual inheritance To the level we want you to have it within five minutes. It takes discipleship. And this is what he's saying. He says that always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The word evangelist that Paul is using here was first coined by the Greeks hundreds of years before Christ when they had a great victory. They would send out evangelists to their city-states. These are cities that were a part of Greek uh, culture. They were part of the Greek nation, but weren't within the borders of Greece. So they had to send out runners and they were called evangelists and their job was simple. Their job was to tell the city-states that the battle has been fought, the battle has been won, and their freedom has been secured. That's what the the voice of an evangelist was meant to do. So when Paul says, do the work of an evangelist, Our job is to the generations to come to let them know that the battle has been fought, that the battle has been won, and their freedom has been secured in Jesus. That's their spiritual inheritance. But they're only going to be positioned to inherit it if we disciple them. We've got to disciple them. I don't want to hear young people going around saying, no weapon that is formed against me will succeed and every tongue that rises against you in judgment will be condemned without realizing the spiritual inheritance of that. I don't want a catchphrase generation to succeed us who just throw scripture without spiritual inheritance behind it. It's going to be that moment, and we've read about it in the New Testament When that evil spirit says to those men, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Do you know why he does that? Because those men did not receive the spiritual inheritance of authority. And so we, if we're not careful, will raise a generation that will try to storm gates without that spiritual inheritance, without the revelation of Christ, with catchphrases, great music, good lights, but nothing else, and the enemy will go, Jesus I know, Paul I know, avant life's first generation i know but who are you doesn't that terrify you we've got to position ourselves as a church so when we open up new buildings when we start new programs in a physical inheritance we will possess them we will fill them with the spiritual inheritance they will use to disciple a nation back to jesus disciple a city back to jesus That full scripture verse says this, no weapon that is formed against you will succeed and every tongue that rises against you in judgment you will condemn. This peace, righteousness, security, triumph over opposition is the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me. Come on. Anyone else excited? Just me. You're all just sitting there listening, right? Because I'm reading lots. So we got the physical inheritance and now we've got the spiritual inheritance so the physical inheritance should be inhabited by the spiritual inheritance we should make sure that generations to come i want to make sure that my son and my daughters are alive in avant life in decades to come i want the same thing for your kids and your kids kids because it's what god's asked us to leave for them the last inheritance and i'm going to ask the worship team to come. We've got to leave them a greater vision to inherit. Let's not leave them a deficient vision to inherit. Do you know, physically speaking, when it comes to your eye, when it comes to vision, if you have issues with your vision right now, if you need glasses like I have glasses, or you need oper- an operation like some of us have had, that's because there's been a deficiency in your DNA. You're all blurry right now, so you could be pulling cranky faces, upset. I wouldn't know. I should preach with my glasses off more often now, think about it. I've just been zero concern. Physically speaking, vision is a DNA deficiency passed on to you by your parents. Can I tell you right now, if our church vision is restricted if it's badly strategized, if it is filled with fear and anxiety, or if it is reckless with people's investment, then we will pass on to the next generation a deficient vision of Jesus Christ. Then all of a sudden, what I told you at the start, that legacy should be weighing upon every decision we make comes full circle. Because whatever we decide to do right now as a church, whatever we invest in, the spirit we carry, the belief, the hope, the faith, if we allow that to be restricted, if we allow that to be overrun by fear, we are going to allow the next generation to inherit a deficient vision and therefore will not operate at the fullness that they need to fill until God comes and does the work we should have done in His name in the first place. And therefore, it's another generation not starting from the shoulders of giants, but from the ground. I believe this church is filled with hundreds of godly, spirit-filled giants, men and women called to make a difference, men and women that understand that our life is not our own, but we are bond servants to Christ, that our legacy is eternity, our legacy is the men and women, young children that are going to sit at the table of the Father because we did our work, our fulfilled ministry this requires sacrifice, this requires laying down of money, this requires laying down of resource, this requires laying down of time, this requires us to serve the Great Commission and not our own selfish desire. This requires you to say to yourself, it's not about me right now, it's about others. Jesus says this in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. My great hope is for Avant Life Church, that we would release a legacy onto the generation to come like the world has never seen before. Like the world has never encountered before. That the miracle we're living now will be eclipsed by the, the miracle that it will be living in the future. Our greatest weapon to assault the kingdom of darkness is the legacy that we project into the future. Too many churches are in retreat. Too many movements are falling back. And it's simply because of this. I've been watching uh, World War II in Colour. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. It's good to look back at human history and see that we haven't changed. (laughs) We've all got human conditions. But it talks about major battles that took place in World War II. And it's pretty interesting. Most armies that have been found retreating in the day of the battle is because the command post and the communication lines have been broken or destroyed and therefore the default position of any army is to retreat once you can't hear the commands once you can't get the orders when there is a lack of communication in the army the natural disposition is to retreat so if the church is retreating right now and i'm going to be honest with you read the stats it is If it's falling back right now in canada and trust me it doesn't take you long to talk to somebody and they'll tell you that it's because the command posts it's because the communication lines have been broken and nobody's restored them but this is what i get excited about avant life church we're not in retreat we're advancing We've got clear command posts. We've got clear communication lines. We know what we're doing. We know the vision God's given us. We know our mandate. We know that all authority on heaven and earth is ours because of Jesus Christ and that no weapon formed against us should prosper. We're coming from a position of victory, not a position of retreat. We're advancing each and every day. Look at the lives that have been touched because your simple faith to give, to believe, to pray, to serve, to invest, we're taking back the North Shore one heart at a time, and the enemy says right now that he's not happy, but too, too bad. What is he going to do? The Bible says that we have authority to shake the gates of Hades. We can go to the enemy's camp and take back what he took from us. I don't know about you, but I don't want to just pretend to say that. We're doing it as a church. And if you haven't had that moment yet, well, guess what? The inheritance that God's poured out on avant life is exactly that. So you're struggling at work. Well, guess what? Stop retreating. Stop holding back. Turn to the Word. Turn to the command post. Get your instructions. Give it to the enemy. Emma shared a quote last week that Benjamin Franklin said. Am I correct, Emma? He says that if you don't want to be forgotten the moment you die, write something worth reading or do something worth writing. And I love this thought, because Jesus has already done what's worth writing about. So let's start doing something worth reading. Let's start living that life. The Word's been given to us. We don't have to write that portion. We have to live this portion. Would you stand with me, church? We have Vision Sunday coming up next week. It's not to be missed, trust me. We're casting a big vision. God is on the move. We're marching. Avant Life is stepping into its calling, a great influencer on the North Shore. If you haven't heard it already, you just talk to anyone. Trust me, this community knows what Avant Life is. The neighborhood knows who we are. The church knows who we are. Many people look to our church, and this is not me patting ourselves on the back, it's to encourage you this. Many churches look to our church in hope, knowing that if God can do it here, He can do it anywhere. We're going to leave a great physical inheritance. God knows we're going to leave an amazing spiritual inheritance. But avant life, our bread and butter, has always been our great vision. The unbelievable We're the men and women that believed that you could build bridges across massive chasms. That's in our DNA. We're we're men and and women that believe that what looked impossible becomes possible. We're men and women who who know that if we dream big, if we work hard and we invest, we can achieve what only we have dreamt about or the generations before us have dreamt about. I'm not going to wait for another generation. It's not going to pass me by. I'm going to overturn every, every rock. I'm going to raise uh, hell and heaven in this place to believe that God is on the move. Every chair is going to be filled. Every building that we can get our hands on to, pro- to proclaim the goodness of God. We'll do it. We'll make it happen. Church, we're advancing. And so as we, as we worship now and take some time, I do believe he wants you to hold that vision in your heart right now. That's your inheritance. We get to live it now but we're victory. We are victory. When people see avant life, they will see Christ, which means they see victory. We're victorious in all that we do. If you haven't had that moment yet, God's coming for you. He's here. Jesus is present. He wants to turn you inside out. He wants to to make you the head and not the tail. He wants to make sure that you live your fulfilled ministry, your purpose calling. You ready to worship? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.